I don't want to be a fireman and work in like the most fire safe city in the United States. Like I want to, I want to go to fires and going to fires, unfortunately means, you know, you're, you're there like on someone's worst freaking day and, and their, their home is burning or their, or their family members are endangered. And, uh, I don't want to wish that on anyone, but if it's going to happen, I want to be there. I'm Kevin Jorgensen, and this is the Freedom to Focus podcast presented by Sterling Rope. Check, check, one, two. All right, so today we're talking to an FDNY firefighter named Matt Murphy. Um, is it Matt or Matthew? What do you prefer? Nah, Matt's cool. Okay, cool. My brother's name Matt. Matt Murphy is with Rescue Company 3 in the Bronx. He's been a firefighter for 16 years, and he's pretty well decorated, although I don't think he'd let me put it that way. He was recently awarded a Vincent J. Kane Medal and the Broomer Medal in 2017 for rescues during two separate fires in the Bronx. I talked to him about one of those fires, but he's a humble dude, so mostly we just talked about the work that goes into firefighting in general and Matt's passion for climbing. Let's start where our worlds overlap. You're, you're a climber as well, yeah? Yes, sir. I've been climbing since I was a little kid. I think I'm a pretty varied, you know, varied climber you know ice climb in the winter and rock climb when it's nice or rock climb in the winter and dream about ice climbing when it's warm out and (laughs) i think it's kind of crazy that almost every single person i've spoken to during this first season of our podcast also climbs recreationally that wasn't the goal going into it to talk to a bunch of climbers but it's clear that if you work and play at height there's this natural thread of climbing that uh, connects us all and when did you get into the firefighting field? Uh, my dad was a, uh, he was a, he was a fireman when he was young. And then he actually uh, left the fire department and went over to the police department in, in Patterson, New Jersey, back in the 60s. And so, we, you know, I kind of grew up seeing, you know, his helmet on the wall and, and, and just thinking um, that looks like cool shit. That's what I want to do, you know, and it never and it never left me. I think. Yeah, I, I think a lot of kids grow up. Yeah, they want to be a fireman or a cowboy, but but they just they actually just follow through with it, and they and it never leaves you. You know, they say you can't do both, right? You can't grow up and be a fireman. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like a stupid old saying, but it's true, man. I'm I'm definitely like I I think I'm I still feel like a kid, you know. After serving as a volunteer firefighter and passing through a couple other careers. Matt eventually was hired to FDNY in 2002. So, I mean, that's that was like right after 9-11. I mean, what was it like to enter, you know, not just firefighting, but New York firefighting and New York firefighting, you know, just that yeah. that atmosphere and that culture. I mean, God, I can only imagine what that was like. I mean, speaking for myself, I... There was some big shit happening and some some terrible shit happening to the department had happened to the department and they were falling out from it. And uh, you're thrust into that spot where you want to do a good job. And and um, yeah, you're basically just like walking on eggshells, man, like not wanting to fuck up and just be the best probie that you could possibly be. If you're like me, you're probably wondering what a probie is. <laughs> A probie is a probationary firefighter, someone basically who's just new to the team. And learn and in that honor, you know, the guys that were gone and honor the guys that were there and the senior men that were there, you know, teaching you. 
how do any does climbing and firefighting have anything in common? Does one feed into another? Do you feel like your experience as a climber prepared you in any way for this? I was kind of thinking about this beforehand, and like you know, the the, the culture of the New York City Fire Department is definitely one of mentorship. Um, when you enter a firehouse, um, you kind of <clears throat> you're told to shut up and keep your eyes open and your ears open and you know, watch and listen to, to what your senior men, you know, do and say and, and how they, how they operate, you know, whether that's in the firehouse or at a fire. Um, and you are just a sponge and that's your job just to expect it to absorb as much as possible, whether that's tactics or the culture or, or whatever, um, the work ethic. And, um, I think, uh, you know, in, in climbing, I certainly had some great mentors and I still do. Um, and the, as far as that's concerned, that's really super similar, you know, and, uh, you know, the New York city fire department has its own culture. And then within that, every single firehouse on the job has its own culture, um, similar, but everyone is a little different. And my particular firehouse where I went to, um, 84 and th engine 84, ladder 34 was, uh, was a place they, they didn't really, you know, break the probies balls too bad. Um, they were more interested in making them good probies and teaching them the job. And I had some um, uh, really special senior guys, you know, in my in my life. And uh, I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm just so fortunate. So, so lucky that I went to that place, that, that house, and uh, worked with the guys that I worked with. I owe them a ton. You know, the other parallels, I think maybe um, you find yourself you know, at a crux, you know, you're, you're climbing hard. I mean, I know, you know what it's like to climb hard and <laughs> like you're in that, that flow state where you don't have a single thought in your head other than, you know, your three foot world in front of you. And at a fire, that's extremely similar. I'm not thinking about anything else other than exactly what I'm doing. So yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of parallels. I, I think. Yeah. For me, when it comes to climbing, I find that flow state, there's, there are moments that bring me into it right so if i'm on a wall it's like when i'm finishing my figure eight it's kind of like the beginning of the flow state you know like you're sure. it's it it's what's going to keep you safe for the entire day and it's kind of the last thing you do before you start before you start climbing and you make sure you obviously want to make sure you do it right but it's kind of this ritualistic thing yep. that kind of locks you into that to that mindset and that that flow state amount of focus so for you how does is there a, a ritual type thing or an yeah. experience like leading up to responding to a call that that drops you into that yeah, flow sure. state kind of walk us through how you might get into that you know you're you're chilling in the firehouse you're making lunch you're 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 checking tools you're working on whatever you're working on which could be a variety of stuff you could be folding sheets you know, you can be cleaning. The, you can be cleaning cleaning a toilet. You know, you could be on the toilet. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the the bee boop goes off. That's that's kind of what we call the uh, you know the the alarm bell. You know, a run a run comes in, and uh, you know you jump on the fire truck and you go out the door and you're speeding through the city streets, making a lot of noise. And uh, let's say it's a legitimate fire. We're not going bouldering. We're we're climbing. <laughs> It's it's a, it's a legit fire. We're getting ready to go to work, right? I'd say the equivalent of uh, of tying that figure eight into your harness and finishing it up 
um, would be us putting our gear on on the rig. Um, so my pants go on the exact same way they've been going on for 16 years. My coat goes on the exact same way. You know, I, I put my, my hood on in the up position. Then I put my radio strap on. Then I put my coat on. I do my buttons. Then I do my clasps on the outside of my jacket. I'll put my gloves on. And then I put my mask on. And I'd say at the moment the rig pulls up to the fire, I kind of slap my helmet on my head you pick up your tools getting off the back of the rig and as soon as your foot touches the ground that's when you're you know quote unquote climbing that's when you're going to work that, that's my ritual you know and it's funny say your coat goes somewhere else or something's out of place boy it like really yeah fucks with your circuitry for me the equivalent would be like getting halfway up a pitch and like realizing i forgot half the rack or something you know and you're just like oh no and like your yeah. bubble gets popped yeah. and you know, all these what ifs start to come and your armor is kind of pierced and you're vulnerable you know you don't have everything you need to to perform yeah and i think in the fire service it's important to um you know regardless of how much time you have on the job it's like important not to become complacent and still have put that armor on the same way you did when you were a, a new guy i think that's what gets you through your career safely and 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 some luck obviously but like i don't want to have to deal with chinks in my armor when i when i want to work hard you know <laughs> so yeah it's important one of the things i really wanted to understand better from matt was exactly how a firehouse works like for example if you try to imagine what firefighters do it's like they get in their trucks and they get to the fire and they jump out and they spray water at it. But like any profession, especially jobs that involve a hefty dose of risk, you know there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And for the totally uneducated like myself, maybe give us a little basic primer. Yeah, so you've got the, the, the New York City Fire Department and then within the New York City Fire Department, you have firehouses. Most firehouses are comprised of one or two companies. There's a there's an engine company and there's a truck company. As I understand it, a ladder company's main thing is accessing a burning building at any level, including the roof, using ladders and various tools. On the other hand, the engine company is responsible for suppressing the fire, so they deal with the water and the hose and the pumps and all of that. So together they make a firehouse. In charge of every company, the engine company, and in charge of the truck company is ultimately a captain. And he is like the uh, sort of the overlord of the fire company, right? Um, and then there are typically three lieutenants assigned to the, to the fire company. Below the lieutenants are approximately 25 firefighters that are assigned to the fire company. So the captain is ultimately responsible for the administration of the company and the runnings of the company and stuff. But like, you know, every day you've got one officer working and then uh, the, uh, the firemen rotate you know, basically when they're obviously when they're working five guys in uh, per tour, um, four or five, depending on whether it's an engine or a truck. You know, the team is, is comprised of about six, five to six guys at once. On any given day, beginning of the tour, either the captain or one of the three lieutenants will be working on the fire truck and they'll be sitting in the front, you know, in the officer's seat up front. And the person that drives him is called the chauffeur. So you've got the officer and you've got the chauffeur up front. Those are the two positions that are found on every single rig. After that, you've got a bunch of positions that firefighters rotate through depending on the job. The, the most senior guy is going to get the irons. 
The iron's position is basically the person responsible for gaining entry into whatever building is burning. What a crazy job. It's called the irons because of the tools they use to force an entry. An axe and a thing called a halligan bar, which is essentially a crowbar and steroids. Once they're in, the irons start looking for victims. The second senior man is going to have the, uh, the roof. The roof is the position responsible for facilitating ventilation, often out of the roof. They work with the engine company to open access for the hose or bust out the windows, and that gives the engine company a place to push the fire out of. The other duty of the roof man is, uh, aside from vertically vent ventilating, he's uh, he carries a rope. And if, uh, if a civilian, or God forbid, a fireman shows up a window and he's trapped, the, the last resort is to basically go over the edge of the, the, the parapet of the building, the, the, the edge, the side of the building, and, and basically grab him off the end of a rope and be, be lowered down. So it's a, it's a lowering operation. We're gonna lower, lower another fireman really quickly, down and dirty, and uh, he's gonna stop, pick up that civilian or fireman at the window, and then he's gonna be lowered down to the ground. The third senior position is called the can. They go in with the officer to find the fire. He or she basically works to knock the fire back far enough to allow the irons to search for victims. They carry an extinguisher and a pike pole, which allows them to shut doors or bust through walls or ceilings to try to contain fires and basically buy time. And the junior man will have the saw. Then there's the saw. The saw carries a big gnarly saw, as you can imagine, which is used to cut open ventilation in the roof. The whole team basically works to suppress the fire enough to look for life while tunneling a route for smoke and flames to spread out into the air instead of laterally within the structure. The hook is similar. They're also called OV or outside ventilation. Outside vent man or, or, or hook is gonna uh, laterally vent the building. So depending on what type of building it is, he's gonna take the fire escape up to the fire apartment or he's gonna take a portable ladder or he's gonna take the aerial ladder off the fire truck, you know, the big ladder. And he's gonna position himself outside those windows to either vent for fire or vent for life. Basically, the whole team works not only to suppress a fire, but to tunnel away for it to spread up and out of the building. Instead of the fire spreading laterally, you know, we want to spread up to the sky, right? So we're gonna cut the roof open and pull the roof and let the fire go up as opposed to out. The New York City Fire Department went through decades of super heavy duty fire duty back in the 60s and 70s. And literally New York City was like burning down, right? Um, these these older dudes and these guys, these like, they basically wrote books on this stuff because they were going through, had so much experience in this. So we we formulated our our strategies and our tactics based on these, these books, right? Um, you know, one of them is called Ladders 3. It's kind of like the, the Bible of our fire department, um, how we operate at non-fireproof buildings. Um, you could reference the Brownstone, you know, documents, and, and, and that's how we're gonna operate on at Brownstone fires, or row frame fires, or private dwelling fires, or high-rise fires. It's all written out ahead of time, and it's your job as a fireman to, to know those playbooks inside and out. So I could show up as the third due truck at a high-rise fire, and we already know what we're doing. The chief running the fire, he already knows what you're doing. You're going to do it automatically. He doesn't need to tell anyone to do anything. You know, um, it's not until like multiple buildings are on fire where you start to <clears throat> need to start spreading resources in, in directions where um, might not be apparent.
In 2004, Sterling built the first 100% Technora fire escape rope for FDNY. Today, fire departments across the US rely on Sterling rope for roof rescues, large area searches, and bailouts. If you want to learn more about Sterling's impressive stable of products for fire safety, check out sterlingrope.com. Well, this has given me like a really good kind of overview picture of of the job and and what drew you to it and kind of what it's like to to get ready to respond. But I think one thing that might bring it home for people is if, you know, just as if you and I were to talk about a particular climb that we just finished, you know, in the specific, it might be cool if we could talk about a particular uh, rescue or or call that you responded to. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a rescue you were a part of at the end of September um, on the 30th. This is one of the fires Matt was awarded for. It was on the 10th floor of a 13 floor high rise. And from what Matt said, it was a deceptively small job. Honestly, uh, I don't, I didn't think much of the fire. It's, it was in a fireproof building, which means it's like a high rise, uh, constructed of concrete. You know, the building itself isn't going to burn. It's the contents inside the building, inside the apartment that's going to burn. Right. I uh, wasn't hearing much on the radio at all on my, on my handy talkie, you know, you're uh, the radio that we all carry with us. And, um, I remember walking into the lobby with my boss and, and all the guys are, you know, we're, we're all together. And, uh, I remember him saying, he says, uh, Mickey, go on up there and, uh, just give me an idea what's going on. I'm, I'm not hearing a lot now that could be because communications kind of sucked, or maybe it just means that they weren't saying a lot. That could also mean that things were perfectly fine and, and, and the job was going as it should, or it could mean shit's kind of fucked up. <laughs> so we get up there, up to the fire floor. It's fairly smoky. Put, we put our masks on at the uh, stairwell door. And uh, I think we, we forced some adjacent apartment doors and searched those apartments for people inside. I was just waiting there. I was kind of on my knees, kind of staying low. And I didn't hear anything on the radio. Your normal flow of information kind of wasn't getting passed on. And uh, at that point, at that particular fire, I got to be honest with you, I was almost ready to take up and walk back or, you know, get back to the, um, the uh, stairwell and kind of be like, ah, I think we're done here. But within like 30 seconds or so, the, the radio transmissions kind of cha started to change. Now we hear the way they're speaking on the radio in the background. You hear their, their low air alarms going off on their masks. So you know they're, they're running out of air. So whatever they're doing right now, they're not going to be doing it for much longer. It turns out that they had a, uh, like a, what we call a Collier's Mansion condition. Um, it means it's like a hoarder's apartment. So Oh, no. Yeah, so it's like the worst case scenario for a fireman. Well, definitely the worst case scenario if, if you're the if you're the tenant. <laughs> like you know, you live in a place like that and you have a fire, you're 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 done. You know, so uh, so yeah, so th that's that was the deal. Like they had a really hard time knocking the fire down and searching, and there was a little bit of heat at the door, and it kind of wasn't like. They weren't saying the normal things you'd usually hear, like primary search, complete and negative, or, yeah, we have all the fire knocked down. Uh, we're just mopping up in here. You kind of hear in, like, nondescript transmissions and, and just something in your Rolodex of experience. Like, you're just sort of like, eh, I'm going to hang out a second. You know, I don't think these guys got this yet. Basically, long story short, they run out of air. They're backing out. As they go out, we go in to control of the hose line. It's extremely hard to... Um, negotiate and manipulate a hand line a hose basically 
in conditions like that. Is it hard because there's, it's, I, I mean, it, I mean, it sounds like heavy and hard to like keep a handle on a hose that's spewing that much water out, but is there something else that makes it hard in that condition? Yeah, you know, I mean, in, in conditions like that, you don't have really walls to lean up against. You don't really have a mm. floor to gain leverage off of. You're, you're operating on top of piles of garbage. It's, it's pretty, sh- it's really shitty. Um, you're, you're, you can't see anything. So your equilibrium is kind of all screwed up, right? Um, mm-hmm. Any balance you have, it's just, it's just a, it's just a, it's a fucking nightmare, you know? Um, yeah. So we, we get the hose line, we, we, we get in there and, and you can only see maybe a six inches to a foot in front of your face. It's just kind of like shitty smoke. It's not really going anywhere. It's not going out the windows. It was a shitty fire, you know? So Tim, Timmy and I kind of move the hose line down this hallway and he, and he kind of turns and starts knocking back the fire to our left. And we, you know, you ordinarily a fireman is like down on the ground, right? Because like that's where it's cooler. Um, you operate on your knees or on your belly or whatever. Um, I think we were on probably two to three feet of debris. You could easily touch the ceiling with your hand if you wanted to. No. Yeah, you're sort of just like climbing up and over all this crap. You just It's just like junk, like clothes and paper and whatever it is. So I remember – like I wasn't providing a good backup for the line because I just couldn't get in position behind him. It was like, I was on this like little mountain of crap. And, uh, I said to Tim, I said, you know, fuck this. I'm going to go search off to the right. He goes, okay. Cause he was kind of the, the garbage was almost backing him up sort of at that point. So I kind of go off to the right. I sort of found like this hole <laughs> and, uh, sort of slipped my mask to my left. So it kind of reduced my profile a little bit. I remember bumping into all this stuff on my right. And every time I touch something, it would like fall down on top of me. And I'm just like, man, this is, this place is like fucked. Like, I don't, I don't even know like what to do here. So I remember like, I, I must've bumped into like this piece of wood or something. They, they had like this stuff like propped up sort of. And I remember like hitting it and thinking I could feel a little bit of weight above it. And I was like, Oh, dude, like if I just let this go, it's whatever's up here is just going to fall on me and just make this even more difficult. And uh, you kind of just like a bull in a china shop and you kind of barrel mm-hmm. through and I'm on top of all this crap and you're, you're searching. But like, what are you searching for? Could I even feel a, a human body in those conditions? Like, no, it's just like confusing. It's dark. Like, you don't know what you, you like. You don't even know what you're doing. You know, it's it's a, oh, it sounds like a nightmare. Honestly, it's a nightmare. Yeah, man, it's, it's terrible. And then kind of out of nowhere. I remember putting my hand down in this junk and I felt like a squishy thing. And I think other firemen that have come across bodies are going to identify with that. Like a squishy thing is usually a human human body. So uh, it was like his, it was like his head and his, it was like his eyeball. And I remember kind of being like scared. I was like, Oh, like, Oh, yeah. So uh, this thing, I start kind of digging him out and he was moaning and I'm like, man, this guy's like, this guy's alive. Like shit. Like how the hell am I going to get him out of here? And, um, there's no, like, you can't crawl over him. You can't crawl next to him. You, you basically, I needed to like unearth him and, and, and throw debris opposite of him and then sort of like pull him up and over me. So he's laying on top of me and then kind of like throw him to the side and then do it again Meanwhile, I'm kind of like lifting my mask up and screaming back to my officer that I have a, a fire victim that we will call like a 1045. And uh, I'm just thinking the whole time, I'm like, how are we going to get this dude out of here? Like, this is like 
one of the worst departments I've ever like been in. And like, this is just going to be a disaster. So basically another guy crawled up behind us and he, um, he assisted me in get, <clears throat> excuse me, getting him out, out to like sort of the area of the kitchen, I think. And, um, so he was kind of in good hands and I, I crawled back to, to the spot where I was. And then I, I kind of kept crawling forward through this crap and, uh, got to a back bedroom and, and the door would only open about a foot or so. And I, I kind of crawled through the door and there were two more people in there. I said, Jimmy, I got, I got two more 1045s in this room and we're kind of like face to face on our knees right now. And I'm sort of screaming at his face while lifting my face piece off my face so he could hear me. I said, Jimmy, I got two more in here. And he's like, two more. He's like, well, how are we going to get him out? I said, we got to go back the way we came. I, I would have rather, uh, dude, Kevin, I, I would have rather like lower these guys with rope out the window. Like, wow. That would have been easier. You know what I mean? So you wrestle these two other victims out of all this junk and yeah. down the stairs, I take it. And what, what kind of state are they in? Were they just going to perish there if you didn't dig them out? Like, yeah. What kind all of condition three, were these folks all in? All three were in like a semi-conscious condition. Um, you know, the first one definitely being the worst semi-conscious kind of groaning, uh, not helping at all in their own, uh, egress, if you know, um, and then the sad part of this whole thing, uh, they, they actually all lived. Um, but, uh, the sad part is that, you know, you kind of, you get down to the lobby and you're sort of now exiting that flow state, you know, um, you get back rig and you're kind of. You're sort of like uh, winding yourself down and we get back in the rig and taking my gear off and changing my cylinder out of my out of my mask. And um, the, the units in the apartment give another 1045. Oh, no. And they give a code one, which is a, a DOA. And I'm like, where? Like what? Like where? Where was that one? In the same in the same room or yeah. apartment? Yeah, in the, same, in the oh, same room. Man. Right, so. Long story short, I, you know, my, my boss and I go back up to the fire floor and I'm like, I'm just curious to see where this, where this person was because I missed them, you know? Um, and, uh, so when we first, um, advanced that hose line in and we were on top of that three, three foot pile of shit, um, and we couldn't make the, make the turn basically. And I couldn't back them up because I felt like I was on this mountain of stuff. Um, yeah, I was like, I was walking all over. Uh, a fire victim like they were right underneath me um that's how confusing and and difficult it can be you know you're literally kneeling and and operating and crawling on top of a person and you don't even know you're doing it oh my it. god um so it was pretty gnarly um sad you know can you imagine a day at the office like that it really makes me wonder what drives people to this kind of work that not only means risking your own life again and again, but that means being in a position to save other people's lives. And no matter how many times you do it, no matter how many people you rescue, there's always a chance that you won't be able to save everyone. We're human. We can do our best to defy gravity or fight back fire. But in the end, those forces of nature often win. Here's what Matt has to say about it. I guess uh, this, I think it's a very complicated question. Actually. I think the answer gets kind of like, uh, it's a little cl it's a cliched answer. Like I want to help people. Sure. Yeah. I want to help people. Like I, I'll go out of my way to help people. My neighbors, sometimes total strangers, you know, like I definitely have that boy scout kind of mentality in me for sure. But like, 
the other part of it, the dark part of it that no one wants to talk about and no one wants to admit, and I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Like you want to go to fires, man. Like, I don't want to be a fireman and work in like the most fire safe city in the United States. Like I want to, I want to go to fires like, and going to fires, unfortunately means, you know, you're, you're there like on someone's worst freaking day and, and their, their home is burning or their, or their family members are endangered. And, uh, you know, it takes them a little while, you know, I've matured into it and you know, like you realize like, you don't, I don't want to wish that on anyone, but Right. If it's going to happen, I want to be there. And that's kind of dark. Like, it's sort of, it's, I don't know. There's something not right about that. And then I think, like, through, like my wife's a, uh, a psychotherapist. So we talk about this a little bit, you know. And, she, and she's got this little theory that, like, firemen are just, like, sociopaths. And, like, you know, <laughs> you know, like, you, <laughs> you want to, like, uh, you want to experience, like, someone's, like, misery. And, like, not that I want to experience their misery, but, like, you want to be party to it. And is it true? No, you know, I don't know. Parts of it. It's complicated, you know? Yeah. But I'm not yeah. going to give you the bullshit. Like, I want to help people and I want to, you know, like, yeah, I want to help people for sure. Sure. But that's not it. That's not all. You know, there are definitely other factors and, and motivations. And um, Well, you're there because you want to be. Like, the outcome of it is unfortunate. And it puts, Yeah. I imagine, everybody in, like, such a, it's such a primal, like everyone's yeah. experience and whether, no matter what side of it you're on, it's got to be one of the most primal uh, human experiences you can go through of just pure survival. I mean, that's, that's some raw stuff. Yeah. And do you find that most, or is it common um, among firefighters that what you're expressing, just like, no, I, that's where I want to be. You know, it's like, yes, the other stuff, but I'm, I'm here because I want to be like, I want to, I want to be responding. I want to be there. Yes. I think that's 100% true. You know, 100%. If you don't have that, I don't want to be anywhere near you at a fire. Is it something in particular about fire? Well, there's definitely like a lot of stuff that makes the job awesome, you know, but, um, I mean, many, many things, but like fire, you know, yeah, it's, it's an exciting event. And if you have that, you know, it's like kind of cliche, but like that adrenaline junkie kind of, you, you, you seek that out in life, you know, I don't think it's, it's, it's no accident that I'm like a climber and I, I kind of like, I kind of like getting through a sketchy route. Sure. I mean, you can get that rush anywhere. I mean, you said it just from climbing, you know, you can pick a sketchy route and, and quest your way up there and hopefully come out, you know, clipping the chains. But like, if I mean, you could do it dr racing cars, you know, why, why fire though? When you can get that rush. Well, they pay, they, they pay you. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you got medical benefits. Thank you so much to Matt Murphy of Rescue 3 in the Bronx for making time to talk with me. As always, if you have a story about what you do at height, hit us up at f2fstories at sterlingrope.com. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast was produced by the nerds at Kingspoke in Portland, Maine, and presented by Sterling Rope. I'm Kevin Jorgensen, and thanks a lot for listening.